Companies all over the globe are developing and molding their own give-back models. My name is Christine Petrella, and I'm fortunate enough to host a podcast where I can speak with these companies and help us all learn the unique ways that companies, big and small, are doing good things in their communities and giving back to so many important causes. Today's guest is Mary Lynn Schroeder, the founder of In Blue Handmade, a leather and waxed canvas goods business out of Asheville, North Carolina. They've sold over 90,000 items and have a partnership with Feeding America, where they are able to donate 50 meals for each bag sold. Mary Lynn, the founder of In Blue Handmade. How are you today? I'm awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm very happy to have you here. I want to learn more. My friend Katie sent me your link through Etsy and she said, look at this, you know, they're donating to Feeding America. You should really reach out to her. So I'm glad we had the chance to connect, but I'd love to know more about your company. I think it's tough from the name of In Blue Handmade to understand what it is you do. So can you tell us a little bit about In Blue Handmade? Well, In Blue Handmade is a handmade manufacturing project that I started in 2008. We specialize in leather goods and wax canvas goods. The company started in 2008 after a move that I made from Chicago, where I was working in music business to a small farm in Southern Illinois. I loved my job in music business, but I felt like something was missing. I mean, there was definitely some part of me that felt kind of like not as passionate about going through the process of booking, throwing shows and doing things like that. And I knew there were a lot of people behind me looking for this job. I was young and, you know, and I had this super cool gig, but I found myself being like, well, I love music, but I'm not calling in or showing up late. And and that's just not really my thing. And that kind of struck me like something's wrong. So I moved to Southern Illinois. I bought a sewing machine on the way down in an effort to be more self-sustainable. My thought was, oh, I'm going to make my own curtains and I'm going to learn how to cook. I also bought a cookbook and a crock pot and that failed miserably. So. Um, <laughs> And so I started sewing every day. I was like on the hotline for singer and like trying to figure out I had never done anything like that in my life. It was a challenge that all of a sudden I was really motivated and excited about. And so I just started doing it. I was sewing like recycled fabrics, corduroy patchwork bags, all very college town, hippy dippy. I was very young, but that kind of morphed and transformed over time into leather. And then I moved to Asheville, North Carolina in 2011. Um, And now we have a 6,500 square foot warehouse. We have 10 full-time living wage certified employees. And it's just turned into this career that I had no idea was coming at all. So you're self-taught even with leather. Yeah, I did have a couple of lessons, sewing lessons. My friend Jamie in Southern Illinois, after I was on the Singer Hotline enough times, I signed up for some classes and Jamie Schaefer taught me a couple of things and it was really awesome. And I would definitely credit her with keeping me going. But yeah, for the most part, it was me. And this was before you could YouTube everything even. So, you know, just figuring it out. (laughs) I learned everything on YouTube. Without that, we probably wouldn't have a podcast. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What was your vision with the warehouse? What were you envisioning back in 2011 to where you are today? Have you made it to where you thought you would be? Yeah. You know, it's funny because last week, Brittany, our chief of operations here at the company, she started with me in 2011 when I moved to Asheville. And we did a podcast interview then. And on it, I remember specifically, and we had just revisited this actually, and I said, I'd really love it to make 5,000 sales on Etsy. 
in the next five to 10 years. And it's been 10 years and we've done 90,000 sales on Etsy. So my vision was much smaller than what has happened. I don't think I could really conceptualize of what manufacturing meant and that kind of workflow equipment, just all the things we've sort of had to figure out along the way. It's a little crazy to even think that way. But to be honest with you, I think if that had been my vision, I would have been intimidated by it and I may not have done it. So, Oh yeah. So who was your mentor when you were getting up and running? Who did you talk to about advice for the business side of things? Oh, my father, definitely. My dad is like, he's such a rock and he is so, so very, very smart. He works for the University of Illinois and has my entire life. And he just has a really good logical brain. Whereas I am, you know, extremely Pisces and I'm like, oh, a butterfly. Um, Me too. I'm Pisces. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a fun, wild ride to be friends with the Pisces. Uh, Yes, it is. He's always been really good at kind of counteracting my thoughts and helping me kind of reel them in. I'm just, I'm so lucky. And as we're just, when we're recording this, we're just a day past Father's Day. So happy Father's Day again, Dad. Um, But yeah, I think he finds ways to take what I'm saying, which is all over the board and help me kind of narrow it down. And that still happens today. So what an inspiration. I love that you have that connection and someone to go to. I'm very lucky. We all need that. Yes. So what point did you start growing your team? At what point did you say, gosh, we need to scale up. We need help. Well, I mean, there's been a few points, you know, as any small business owner, I'll tell you. And certainly, I mean, it's been 13 years now in business. It's a roller coaster. So you have these moments and these breakthroughs as you go. One thing I've learned is it's always going to go up and it's always going to go down. And if you're lucky, you can plateau for a hot minute and <laughs> save some money. <laughs> so like, that's always a thing. So there have been several points along the way. I mean, there was just upgrading my cruddy machine from Joann's. Not that those machines are cruddy, but not what you need for manufacturing. So like antique, heavy steel gear machines. And then moving those into industrial, brand new, jukey machines that are used in large warehouses. And so all of these steps, all of these walls we kind of break through, bring us to a, to a new level and to new ideas. And so that scaling, while definitely I can pinpoint moments, it happens consistently over time. And that's great to scale up like that. Now, you had mentioned earlier kind of the hippy-dippy and <laughs> the laid back, relaxed. So how hard was it to find partners? who carry the same values and standards that you do when you're thinking about environmentally friendly or sustainably sourced and all of that. How hard is that to find those partners? Well, you know, there was definitely a point in the career. And when you look at this like 13 year span, I would say that it was became very difficult to do so about three to four years in. The first few years, it's easy to find sustainable material because you can literally only afford recycled material. (laughs) And so like, I mean, that's one thing for a small business. That's a really good entry point. Like, hey, we we're doing this out of recycled salvage material. You know, you're hunting for that like a lot of the time because to contract large amounts of leather or anything like that, it takes a lot of negotiating, takes understanding a supply chain, takes knowing manufacturers. And so the first few years, that was pretty simple, albeit I was like traveling around everywhere to every thrift store in the country, you know. But once we realized and once I realized like, okay, well, I got to order from somebody legitimate, like I need consistent, I can't just do one off product anymore. That's where it became extremely difficult to have the kind of negotiating power or know how about the supplies 
to understand what even like eco tanning with the leather means or like to be able to afford where it comes from. And so I would say that little part there, that first leap was the most difficult. But as we built up consistent relationships with suppliers, as I was able to learn more actually about the raw materials I was using, that was a whole different ballgame. We were able to sit down, take meetings with CEOs and negotiate and say, hey, I want this made for me. That's a whole different rigmarole though. Like there's one thing to buy from somebody's pre-made stock and get consistent colors. It's another thing to say, hey, I have this swatch. I would like this made for me at this weight. I want the cows to come from these farms and I want the tanning process to be like this. And so it's definitely a building process as you go. And it takes just knowing your trade inside and out. So you traveled the country. Was that something that you wanted to do for fun or was this all business? Oh, no, fun. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like 26. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll go. I can go anywhere. <laughs> like, sure, I'll drive back up to Chicago or I'll go to New York and I'm going to like go to this cool thrift store I heard about and do all this stuff, you know. I mean, it became a chore and more expensive than it was worth. But like I said, I mean, I think a lot of the journey really didn't have a lot of direction or structure, mainly until I moved to Asheville and really was getting serious, starting to rent places to work in and like just started to grow up a little, honestly. I mean, that's a huge part of it is just thinking towards the future. Oh, maybe I want to buy a house. You know, stuff like that is motivating. Oh, absolutely. For all of us. So you have, you know, the bigger team that you're hiring, you have 90,000 sales, your warehouse is, how many square feet did you say your warehouse was? 6,500? It's 6,500 square feet, which is awesome. We moved here in August. We were actually in a warehouse connected to the one we're currently in. So that was actually a really great scenario for us. We were in a 3,500 square foot warehouse and the warehouse next door became available. And so to me, it felt like we knew we were outgrowing the space we were in you know, when else are you going to have to move all of this equipment only 20 feet to the next door? So that was definitely a huge move for us, but one that we are so grateful that we did. That's so, so great. So this is my favorite part, but I want to know when you partnered with Feeding America. We had done a few things with Feeding America in 2019. It wasn't an official corporate partnership, but we started to really get our feet under us in 2019 in general. And that was something we've always done kind of small philanthropic giving, but we were always still sort of day to day on operation costs. And so it was a little too difficult to be able to give up, you know, 10% of what we do. But when COVID happened, that was really the kicker for us. You know, obviously, like everyone else in the country, you know, we were on lockdown. I was in the studio alone for most of it, which was insane for me. because we typically have this large production, but just trying to maintain the energy. We had a couple of of staff who were kind of helping and friends would come in and help every once in a while mask up. But I mean, it it just, you know, we didn't really have options. We weren't even really supposed to drive here in Asheville, but I would still like sneak over to the studio (laughs) and just like, I hope I don't get caught. Nobody cared, I don't think. But um, it was just me anyway. But... (laughs) You know, it felt like it was such a drain. And I definitely had a couple of moments just on the phone with my team and everything. Like, what am I even doing? And we realized like everything was in crisis. We're just listening to the news. We're listening to podcasts. We're checking everything out. And we're like, what do we do? I felt like with the employment crisis that one of the main things that we could contribute to was food. I can't remember how many meals Feeding America did last year, but I think it was around 50 billion, which is insane, or 50 billion people. I'm sorry, so more meals 
that was 40% higher than pre-pandemic. This was a real crisis. We were starting to learn the statistics. And I called up somebody we had worked with at Feeding America before in smaller you know, initiatives and said, what would it take to make sure that we were doing something for every item sold? Like, what are these models? And they're so amazing over there. They have a whole, I mean, obviously they have a whole philanthropic department. And so they worked with us on creating that business model and creating the language around it and making sure that we could enter into a contract that made sense for us. Wow. I didn't know that they offered that and that makes perfect sense. They're amazing. How helpful, right? Yes. And, you know, other companies can do this too. There are a lot of different levels. I think that a lot of people assume to enter into like a corporate partnership with an initiative that's that large, that you'd have to be at a certain level of income with the company. Because when you look at like Feeding America, you see people like Fry or Everlane, and you know they're donating millions of dollars a year, which is amazing. But you look at your small company, you're like, oh, I don't make millions of dollars a year. You know, so, but they have a lot of different programs to sort of scale that for you. And so they have enterprise partnerships, which is, you can enter into a partnership with them for as little as like $10,000 guaranteed a year. And so there are ways to get in the door and they will help you grow with them. And so it's, it's a really neat thing. Yeah, well, I read on the website, I think it's the Mana Food Bank in Asheville, North Carolina, that each year they donate over 16 million meals to people struggling with hunger. So you're helping support that. And I also read they posted one in seven people face hunger and one in six children face hunger. Yes. And that's all according to the feedingamerica.org website. So you saw, you recognize that there was a problem. There's a global pandemic and you sit your team down. How receptive was your team? with going forward with this partnership? Oh, they're amazing. I mean, they love it and they were really motivated and they really helped us. You know, this was something that a lot of the team could do from home was like, help me create the graphics, help me create the social media around that and come up with ideas. Because during this time, I was still like working 18 hour days alone. So it was a little nuts and I was a little fried in general, just stressed and going, going, going. But Luckily, with people like Brittany, who our chief of operations, and Joanna, our director of operations here, they were able to kind of contribute those ideas and help us form this plan and really just get fresh faces on it and ideas. So they love it. And we're still just so excited to be able to continue that. I think it's a real motivator for my team. They're the best and kindest group of people in the world. I really just can't believe how lucky I am to be surrounded by these people. And they really want to give. And I believe that it's motivating for everybody. I think that we have more excitement and more drive in the room this year than we ever had before. And I think that a lot of that has to do with this philanthropic partnership. So because of that inspiration, how has your collections changed? I feel that even just over the last year and a half, the way that I design has become more utilitarian. And I don't know if some of that is just examining our needs and thoughts, which everybody's had upheaval in the last year. There have been so many things that have happened. It's just been an emotional, thoughtful, digging deep kind of year. And when I think about our purses, when I think about the stuff that we make, I try to picture it along with someone. So like, is this going on their first job interview? Is this going out to dinner with their grandkids? What is this doing for the person? And I think that my concept of just life in general has changed so much that I think that we've been able to create kind of more durable and more useful items. Like our value became less on just fancy aesthetic and more on like, how is this getting used and how is it going to move with somebody through their life? 
But I think if COVID did anything, and certainly not glad COVID happened, but I think it created more empathy and more understanding within communities. And so I think that you see that from our designers and from me as well. I totally agree. I saw on your website, it was the bow ties collars. (laughs) Those are adorable. (laughs) We love that. We get so many dog pictures every day. And that's like, uh, I love the Instagram messages with pictures of dogs. That's been, that's just uplifting. (laughs) <laughs> it really is. When I see those, really like, oh, that. he's so cute. <laughs> and you have, I mean, you have the wax canvas tote bags, you have the purses, the wallets, the small keychains. So if I go on your website and I buy a tote bag, how am I helping not only your company, obviously supporting a small business, but how am I helping Feeding America? So every bag that we sell, and this is part of our legal language, is that we can say that we donate 50 meals for every bag sold. However, Feeding America, it varies. so. What that really means is we're donating at least 50 meals. There are many times that they have really cool people come in and say they're going to double somebody's corporate giving or things like that, and particularly in programs that we're in with smaller businesses. And so you'll have people come in, larger companies or philanthropic endeavors that people come in and say, hey, I'm just, we're going to double your giving. Um, And then, of course, anytime we can give more we will. But yeah, and that just goes directly to Feeding America and that's dispersed throughout the country in whatever way they need to do it. We just make direct donations monthly to them based on the amount of bags that we've sold and items. That is so great. And there's a story that I read on their website and I want to share it. It's um, about a gentleman. His name is Lamont. Have you heard of Lamont's story? Uh Uh-huh. I have. I've read this. Yeah. So awesome. But please tell it. So for the listeners, Lamont is a gentleman... He was living in Utah. He grew up in poverty and he swore to his family that he would never put his family in that position. So he worked very hard. He quote unquote had it all. He had, you know, a nice home and his family had cars and a boat, I believe. And something devastating happened at work. He became visually impaired through an accident at work by a cable that hit him in the eye and he was out of work. He didn't want to visit a food pantry. He seemed to think that that was failure on his part, you know, something very hard to accept. So finally, his wife had said, you know what, I'm taking the reins, I'm going to the food pantry, we got to feed our kids. He kind of went with it. She begged him, I guess, to come with her to the food pantry. And he ended up going to the food pantry. And he decided in his own mind that he thought he would be judged. But really, he said he was only judging himself. And he ended up volunteering at the pantry. And then I believe he got promoted and then he became a director. Now he is helping give back. And I think really the moral of that story is don't be ashamed because there are so many people out there who are in, you know, they're judge-free and they're volunteering their time. And there are so many businesses like in Blue Handmade who recognize where their communities need help. Lamont, I mean, his story is amazing. If you go onto the feedingamerica.org website, you're going to be able to pull up that story and read a little bit more detail. But he said the food pantry gave him a hand up, not a handout. And that's what it's all about. And that's why we try to recognize a lot of these businesses who are helping Feeding America. And by buying a gorgeous tote bag, I actually did buy a little wax purse for my friend for her birthday. Oh, cool. Thank you. So by supporting, again, a small business and supporting you, Mary Lynn, we're able to also support stories like Lamont's story, which is just so incredible to me. So how cool is that, that what you're doing is what you love and that you can also give back? 
I mean, it, this feels really good. And, and certainly, like, I haven't been exactly in Lamont's position, but, you know, I've definitely needed help. I don't know that many people who haven't. I understand that feeling like, oh, no, I won't take help or I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. But ultimately, by accessing food, and particularly in the last couple of years and circumstances happen to people, doesn't mean you don't work hard. These circumstances happen to the hardest working people consistently. And so that's part of the wealth disparity in this country. And that's part of a system that maybe could use some fixing. And I think that by accessing that, it means that, and I've been to food banks, Feeding America sponsored food banks, and particularly when I was starting a company. And the difference is what can happen with food, what can happen with working with these kinds of places is that you may have the opportunity later to make changes. So like Lamont volunteering. I mean, that's amazing, you know, or for us, I know I'm not the only one on my team who has needed help in that way too. And the fact that then we're able to do this and give back feels really good. And that's just good karma. That's really cool, reciprocal life happening. And that's why it's worth it to take the chance. You know, and Feeding America has a food bank finder on their website, but we also have one too that we can access and we're happy to help people. And that was something that we put up, you know, over the last couple of years on our website too. And we've had more people than, you know, say, hey, is there a food bank right here? And that feels good too. Like, yeah, here, and here's a Google map. Like, let's get you there. It's amazing. That's a good feeling. Yeah, and so you're educating people as well who who just want to know. And yeah. you bring up a great point because it could happen to any one of us. You know, Lamont, he, he got injured at work and any of us could get injured at work and, you know, we could lose it all. It's a lightning strike. I mean, you can't control that. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to be prepared and you've got to have the resources. And I think resources, the education part and the resources is, is probably what we're lacking is getting those resources out and making them more well-known. And just having that access on your website is just another avenue where someone's shopping and you know maybe they can't afford it at that time. They're just taking a look and they happen to stumble upon your website and get more information about it. That's great. Yeah. And I also feel like huge kudos to people who are comfortable and are able to harness that purchasing power towards buying from small businesses that support employees in the community and that also are able to give back. Like, I mean, that symbiotic relationship is really special too. You can buy a bag from anywhere. We're aware I did not invent the purse, Um, (laughs) you know, but choosing to buy it from us or choosing to buy it from any number of companies, like the people you have interviewed. I, I know I've met the home tea guy a couple of times. Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Choosing to take that is a really magical step to, to spend your hard-earned money to make sure that you're also including your community, that you're supporting small businesses, that you really are making a difference as you do that. And I think that that's a life choice. And that's a really cool one. It says a lot, speaks a lot to our customers as people as well. I mean, this is how we all work together to make better things happen here. And I think that that's just really amazing. And it speaks volumes for the amount of integrity and the cool people that are buying things from us too. So thanks. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you didn't invent the purse of their tote, but you've invented some really awesome designs. And I remember there was one that I was like, oh, I got to grab that. And then it was sold out. I was like, ah, I got to get faster next time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those one of a kinds we've been doing. Those are really fun. We really love them. (laughs) They're gorgeous. From them, but yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, my husband actually did a leather tote for a cousin of ours for Christmas one year, and he spent months on it. I mean, he, he was doing it on the side just for fun, but I saw what went into it and how tough you got to be with 
you know, your tools and what you're using. So I know that it is a craft that you have built throughout many years. This is not just happen on day one. So we appreciate all that. Yeah, it's definitely some learning, but I love it so much. Like I would almost always rather be on the production floor than anywhere else, even though I am often stuck behind a computer. But when I'm doing that, I'm like dreaming of going out there and making more bags. I just legitimately love making things. So don't ever stop. I absolutely love what you're doing. Mary Lynn, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are just getting started? Maybe some obstacles that you've hit that you thought, ah, I can really help someone going forward. So I think that I will say, and I was just having this conversation with my friend who owns Grit Trade Company, which is a really cool jewelry company outside of Nashville, Tennessee. She came to visit this weekend and, you know, she's a little newer in business. And I, I said, one of the main things I've learned is that you can't, just follow what you think people expect you to do. You need to make rational, smart choices, but your business plan has to be unique to you and what your strengths are. And that's something people so many times get caught up in. Like they try to do all of their own accounting or they try to do all of their own, whatever it is you would want to delegate for me. Obviously that's accounting. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, you have to be able to pinpoint what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And say, okay, well, let's get somebody better than me to do that so that I can do what I'm really good at. In her case, that's absolutely designing. And we're similar in that respect. But I think that that's really important. You can't just say, oh, I need to be in charge of everything. I need to handle everything. Oftentimes, it's worth it to bring somebody in where you need help and where you're struggling so that you can shine where you shine. There is no larger company that's just one person. And there is no way to get to that next level without some help. That's so true. So delegate and outsource and admit that we are going to need help and we do have weaknesses. Let go a little. Yeah. (laughs) Let go a little. Yeah. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do as a business owner. I mean, this is something that you wake up in the middle of the night, like, did I send that email? Did I say the wrong thing? Did I, you know, or, oh my God, did that order go out? I mean, those are things that occur to us still. And it occurred to me still, even though I don't, you know, we get 50 to 100 orders a day. I don't even know who they are, but I was still attached to something and think I forgot it. But you have to learn to let go and trust a little bit. And again, just hire people who are better than you at that job. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Because we're always learning, if that's the case. We're always. Always learning. Yeah. And I think the shoppers, we need to be more patient when you know, maybe the shipping might be a little bit delayed or maybe you didn't get a response right away because everyone does have to realize, you know, small business owners, they're doing this because they love this. They have the heart for it, but they're not the Amazons. They're not those machines who are just going to be pumping things out. No, I know that's a frustration since I've been talking with entrepreneurs on this podcast that just have patience. You do love your customers. You love what you're doing. Just give us a chance. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's okay to be conversational with your customers. I also think it's okay to explain things like, hey, my team has the weekend off. You know, we're not Amazon. We don't have, people are not on shift 24 hours a day at In Blue Handmade. Most of our team works nine to five. And Brittany and I work, you know, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. most days. But it doesn't mean we don't have families. It doesn't mean we don't have dinner. It doesn't mean we don't have to sleep. But typically, if you can relate to your customers, on just a personal level. I mean, that's part of being a small business. And that's part of the reason that people want to buy from you is that they're supporting a small business. They're supporting a human being and they're not talking to a robot that's like answering questions based on keywords that are generated on a website. You're talking to a person who's probably drinking their coffee and like there's a baby crying and there's a lot of stuff going on. 
people will relate and they will be kind and they will be patient if you're like, hey, you know, I'm so sorry. Like we weren't available on Sunday, but we're here. USPS is a little backed up right now because of whatever's going on. Certainly that was the case last year. I found that most people, and I, I continue to find over the last decade that most people are compassionate if you just kind of relate to them a little bit. Right. Communicate, give them transparency. Yeah. Don't be afraid to say that you're fallible because those are things that, I mean, everyone is and everybody knows they are. And typically people calm down, you know, when they realize that. Hopefully this pandemic has taught more people more patience. I know it has definitely made me way more laid back. (laughs) Yeah. I see it in customer communication constantly. I've seen a shift in the intensity, in the way people treat what they purchase, in the way they talk about their community, and actually just in the communication you see friendlier, kinder, and people really want to know about what you do. I think this has, and while it's been a horrible tragedy, it also has taught people the value of interaction. You're right. Now, what can we see next from In Blue Handmade? Oh, lots of hustle. All right. Um, we're working on a new line. We're very excited. So we've all been vaccinated now for a couple of months, which is really great. That was such a relief. We're getting ready to do a fall photo shoot. So getting our fall line together and kind of ready. And then honestly, we're just kind of bracing for holiday season. For us, that's fourth quarter and it's just whoosh. There is kind of a no sleep till Brooklyn situation going on in this studio (laughs) starting in September, October, November. So we are just going to be sewing our butts off, but we are very excited about that. And then, yeah, I mean, just kind of looking forward to the future. I know that we've talked a lot about our partnership with Feeding America, but we're also partnered with a weaving collective of 400 women in the Guatemalan highlands called Trama Textiles. We really love working with them. This is something that we do some e-commerce education with, which has been really fun. And that's where I just go in and say like, hey, here's how you list something and kind of cut out the middleman and do this and that. And so this is something that I've been really passionate about. I visit Central America four or five times in the last couple of years and looking at different ways to kind of help with arming indigenous women with the skill sets to ship and list because there are so many amazing artisans and and it's just a really common story that they are not paid enough for their work and then it's resold here for a lot of money and this is something that just irks me beyond belief and so This is a project that we've been working on with Trama, but we're also going to kind of open up to some more collectives and just kind of hopefully be able to document that process of removing the middleman and making sure that, you know, I get paid for my work. And I think that it's fair that these women and these artisans who are maintaining this heritage and craft get paid what it's worth. And so the best way in my mind to do that is to cut out that guy in the middle and teach logistics and shipping and listing and let that craft be preserved. But I would love to catch up with you months down the road and see how that is going. I want to learn so much more, but I know I've taken a lot of your time so far. I want to thank you and your awesome team. I love everything that you guys have on your website. You're doing great things for so many different people and so many different causes. Marilyn, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Good. All right. Well, I will talk to you soon. I want to catch up and hear more. Having pulled some knowledge, support, and inspiration from her father, Mary Lynn started a business where she was able to surround herself with a hand-picked, driven team and really focus on the give-back model. Her work ethic has her in the shop and focused on her business 24-7. 
often waking up at night wondering if certain tasks were completed and what's next on her plate, something a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to. Mary Lane is not only dedicated to her business, but also her partnership with Feeding America and her new initiative, helping women receive a fair wage in their trades. I look forward to catching up with Mary Lynn and helping us all receive some more education on how we can best help these causes. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of The Give Back Model. Please head over to your listening avenue of choice and leave a review, like, subscribe, follow, and check out our website, thegivebackmodel.com for more episodes, show notes on each guest, and the Give Back Model merchandise where $5 from every hoodie sold goes to charity. I appreciate all your support and continue to help give back to your community.